North Carolina's record might not be exactly what we all hoped for, but this team is battle-tested and ready to host Notre Dame this weekend. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Friday, January 6th, 2022. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for making us your first listen or watch of the day. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Okay, friends, Saturday morning, Carolina, and I do mean Saturday morning, Carolina hosts Notre Dame. I'm going to get you prepared for the Irish here in just a second. We're also going to talk about the women's team four-game losing streak, and we've got our heels of the week, and that's going to be great stuff. But but first, I want to talk a little bit about maybe some, some misconceptions about this North Carolina team, because this team is indeed extremely extremely battle tested in a way that no other power conference team can compare with let me let me put it to you this way uh, you get onto Ken Palm and you look at the non-conference strength of schedule so every team's strength of schedule in the non-conference portion of their schedule on on Ken Palm you can uh, filter it that way and see the rankings and when you look it's all teams that are mid and low major teams in terms of the top non-conference strength of schedule, who has the most difficult, except for one notable standout. Now, I know that North Carolina's non-conference eight and three record is not what everyone hoped it would be with those losses to Iowa state, to Alabama and to Indiana. But as of the time of when I'm recording this, those Ken Palm numbers are always changing. Right now, North Carolina has the seventh best non-conference strength of schedule in the entire nation. All right, great. Uh, I'm sure a lot of other power conference schools have that too, right? No, not at all. In fact, Alabama, who Carolina lost to, is the only other power five conference team in the top 30 of non-conference strength of schedule. And you add to that Kansas, Michigan State, and Oregon. Those are the only other three additional teams in the top 50 in terms of Power 5 conference schools in the top 50 of non-conference strength of schedule. Why do I bring all this up? To say, again, listen, I get that North Carolina's record is not what any of us hoped or expected it to be at this point in the season. But North Carolina is doing the things to prepare themselves to be ready to face the gauntlet of the ACC schedule, even though right now I know um, you've got those losses to Virginia Tech and Pitt. Um, but Carolina can can have this Notre Dame game on Saturday and get their record up above 500 at 3-2. and two. So all of this means that Carolina is battle-tested. You look at those, there, there's five losses. I get that. All of them right now are quad one. Carolina doesn't have a single bad loss. And they've won every game they're technically supposed to in terms of like not taking any bad losses. I, I know, I guess, 
I shouldn't say it that way because you should have beaten Iowa State, right? So, several of those games, but you hear my point. Another thing that, that I like to look at when I see is, yes, even though there are the five losses, the average deficit in those losses is only 5.8 points. You compare that um, to, to last season. Last year, Carolina had 10 total losses by an average of 15 and a half points per game deficit, including four losses. Four of those 10 losses were by 20 or more points. Carolina has only lost once by double digits this year, and that was the 12 when they lost at Indiana. All of the rest of them are single-digit losses. Now, I know that sounds like I'm putting a, a moral victory on these things. I, I just want to show you like the, the comparison of Carolina is, is losing – in a less bad way, if that makes sense, than they did last year. And they have such a strong non-conference strength of schedule. And, and even just their overall strength of schedule is very, very strong near the top of the nation right now. And so while the Tar Heels have lost a couple games, they're ready for what's ahead of them and they're getting healthier other than the Pete Nance of it all. So I just wanted to start there and just say, hey, let me put a little bit of a frame of reference on some of Carolina's early season uh, losses that they've had. Now, before I actually talk about Notre Dame themselves, I want to give you four things to watch for in this game. The WTW4, what to watch for. And I'll, I'll run through those. Number one, what to watch for in this game on Saturday. North Carolina's offense has done very well. It's their defense that has to get both better and more consistent. There are stretches when they look fantastic, as they did at points in the second half um, against, um, excuse me, against Wake Forest on Wednesday. But when you look at the top 20 teams in Ken Palm, they have the second worst defensive efficiency of any of those schools. In fact, right now, as of the time of this recording, Carolina's defensive efficiency is 73rd in the nation. And that's just not going to cut it if Carolina wants to do, if Carolina is going to do what they want to do. Again, the offense is there. Um, and so it's just th that the defense has to come along and they have the pieces. They have the individual pieces. They just got to put it together and put it together across the course of an entire game. Number two, what to watch for is the free throw line. As you well know, Carolina has done a great job both getting to the line and converting while they're there this season. Carolina is fifth nationally in free throw attempts per game and second nationally in free throws made per game, trailing only Texas A&M in that category. But here's the thing, as strong as Carolina is at getting there, Notre Dame they don't get to the line that often themselves. They're 344th in the nation out of 363 in offensive free throw late free throw rate, excuse me, but they are elite eighth nationally at keeping opponents off the line. So something's going to have to give here. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see it get in the middle, but if you're watching and trying to keep track of this stat as the game's ongoing, what I'm looking for is Carolina to get to the line at least 20 times in this game. So that can kind of help you get a frame of reference for where they want to be. Third thing I'm watching for in this game is some combination of, is Pete Nance able to play? As you know, he left the game against Wake Forest on Wednesday, two minutes in and never came back. So is he able to play? 
If not, who starts in his place? Does Coach Davis go with Seth Trimble and utilize that three-guard lineup that he used for the final 14 minutes and nine seconds in, in the Wake Forest game, which was basically what turned the tide and helped Carolina win? Does he go somewhere else? Remember, he went to Jalen Washington immediately as Pete Nance came out of the Wake Forest game. So maybe Coach Davis goes with a different starting lineup and comes back to that three-guard lineup later. Maybe he goes with Puff Johnson, who we know he trusts a lot. However, Puff's minutes have been down lately, so that might not be the likeliest avenue. So pay attention to does Pete Nance play? And if not, who starts in his place? How much does Coach Davis utilize what I thought was his most efficient and successful lineup on Wednesday night? The, the fourth thing I want to watch for is does North Car Carolina take care of business in this game? And what I mean by that, we're, we're going to talk more about Notre Dame, but for now, you just need to know that they're not good. <laughs> and so Carolina has two things they need to do. Number one, play North Carolina basketball. If you listen to Thursday's show, you heard coach Pat Kilby talk about, uh, you know, we don't always, we shouldn't be always reacting to what other teams are doing. We should be proactively being us and, and letting other teams forcing other teams to respond to what Carolina is doing. That's what I'm looking for. Carolina needs to play to their level, not play down to Notre Dame, not scoreboard watch, just go out and play a game of basketball and then look at halftime and at the end of the game, what the scoreboard says, let coach Davis and the rest of the staff take care of scoreboard watching. North Carolina has to go out and just take care of business in this one. So I'm watching to see it again. It's a, it's a morning tip pre noon. How do they come out? Are they ready to go? And are they locked in and dialed in, even though they're playing a lesser opponent? Watch how businesslike and ready they are. And I said we'd look at four, but I do want to mention one other thing. Mondo Baycott has four straight games of 20-plus points, which is the most in a row he's ever had in his career. Can he get that number up to five? I'd love to see it happen in this game. We are going to talk more about Notre Dame specifically. I want to get you prepared for them, tell you about some of their strengths and weaknesses and personnel. I know you're uh, interested in hearing about that so you can be prepared for what Notre Dame will have under the direction of Mike Bray this season. We'll get there in just a second. But first, this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Are you looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories? Then you gotta, you gotta try Built Bar. We just got through the holiday season, and I know personally, I'm just about to have to start losing some weight, and I'm not looking forward to it. But Built Bar is going to be part of that because healthy is actually tasty with built bar they're so delicious you won't even realize that it's a hundred percent real chocolate and they come in unbelievable flavors like churro and peanut butter brownie seriously churro flavor give me all of that noise not sure how built does it but they taste just like a candy bar and it's only 130 calories four grams of sugar and yet 17 grams of protein even better, now you don't have to wait around to get a box that you've ordered online. Now you can go get Built Bars at your local Sam's Club or Walmart, which for me is just a couple minutes down the road. Go to Walmart, head to the pharmacy section, pick up a box, bring home some of those churro Built Bars, and you are going to be in luck. Of course, you can obviously still order as well at Built.com. Make sure you go get some for yourself. Okay, now we want to move into previewing Notre Dame. So, uh, again, this game is Saturday, tomorrow, January 7th, in the Smith Center. 
early tip, 11.30 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN2. So we've got to be watching for, are these teams up and ready and going? You know the coaching stabs of both sides will make sure that happens. The line at this point, I'm not seeing it yet on the odds maker. So we'll use the Ken Palm line, which favors North Carolina by 13 and gives them an 87% chance to win this one. But again, you got to go out and do it. Notre Dame, like I know we often think of Notre Dame as a team that gives Carolina fits and they very well still could. But right now they're only eight and seven and five of those seven losses are frankly bad losses. Five of them are to teams outside the top 90 at Ken Palm, outside the top 80 in the NCAA's net metric. Those losses are to St. Bonaventure on a neutral, Syracuse, who's not good right now at home. UGA, Florida State in Tallahassee, and Boston College up in Boston. And uh, you, if you've been not really dialed in on, on basketball nationally right now, you just need to know Florida State is awful this year. Not good at all, and obviously Boston College rarely is either. The other two losses for Notre Dame are respectable. Marquette and Miami. I think Miami is a top four or five team in the ACC right now, and Marquette is having a really solid year uh, under Shaka Smart there. So, so keep tabs on that. In terms of their eight wins, literally only one of them is any level of reputable. That's a win over Michigan State. The other seven teams are all 134th or lower in the NCAA's net metric. And so, man, Notre Dame just hasn't done much this year. They're, they're 118th at Ken Palm. They're 136th in the net. Like, this is Notre Dame we're talking about, a team uh, that we expect to play hard and play well. I just don't know what it is. At Ken Palm, they are bottom five in the ACC. The only four teams that are worse are Georgia Tech, Boston College, Florida State, and Louisville. And as you just heard me say, they've already lost to two of those teams below them. And so, I, listen... I do not know what's going on with Mike Bray's squad, but you better believe they're going to be ready to go because they always play North Carolina tough. But here's what it means. With as bad as Notre Dame is, Carolina cannot afford to lose this game. Hear me say that because there's nothing with a team that's ranked this low. There's really nothing to be gained with a win other than experience and getting some uh, rotations and things like that. But a loss, this would easily, easily be the worst loss of the season, a quad four loss. And Carolina cannot have that on its resume because they don't have all that. They have not many quad one wins right now. It's just one, although they do have uh, three or four in quad two. So that's good news there. As for Notre Dame, their, their offense is fine. They're 60th in offensive efficiency at Ken Palm, but it's the defense. That's where things really fall apart. Their defense is atrocious, 220th in the nation. And as you've heard me say, that's where Carolina shines is on offense. And when you meet that with Notre Dame's poorest defense, could be a rough day for the Irish. Carolina has to take care of business. The one caveat there is that this will probably be a slow game. Notre Dame is 334th in the nation in adjusted tempo, and so watch out for that. In terms of turnovers taking care of the ball, both teams are very similar. Both teams are top 15 in the nation in offensive turnover percentage in terms of like adjusted how often they are turning the ball over on offense. But they are both in the 300s in defensive turnover possession, uh, excuse me, 
percentage, meaning they don't force their opponent to turn it over very often um, efficiently. Carolina is pretty awful, 315th out of the 363 teams. But Notre Dame is devastatingly awful. They are 360th in the nation in this metric. That means there's only three teams that are worse. And so um, both teams should be able to hold on to the ball a lot in this one, which is good. It's going to keep the game going. Now, in terms of personnel for Notre Dame, this is where it's a little wacky to me and why I can't quite put my finger on why they're so bad because they've got several guys returning who have been there before. Uh, Trey Wirtz is a name, you know, running the point Cormac Ryan feels like he's been there for a while. And the name that probably will strike fear into a lot of Tar Heels hearts is Nate Lashevsky. Uh, it look, his last name is the one that looks like Lasszewski. Um, I'm assuming it's Polis, but it's Nate Lashevsky. Um, whom, honestly, I really wanted to come be a Tar Heel on the transfer portal this offseason. Uh, and you'll hear why in just a second. Would have been a really complimentary stretch for next to Armando Baycott. Leshevsky's 6'10", but boy, can he step out and shoot it. Watch, he's going to go for 30 in this game. I just, just feel it. It just makes sense. Last year against Carolina, he had 20 points, 8 rebounds. He was 6 of 7 from deep two years ago. 25 points, nine rebounds, seven of 11 for three. So you know he's destined to just absolutely go off. So keep your eyes on Nate Lashevsky and who is guarding him. If it's Baycott or if Pete Nance is playing or not playing, you could see some different things there. Um, you know, he is a more mobile big than is Baycott. And so it might be Leaky or somebody else like that on him, perhaps Puff Johnson. The other two starters typically are Dane Goodwin and JJ Starling. We accept to expect to see them out there. And then the sixth man for this team is Marcus Hammond, who typically gets 20 to 25 minutes a game. Uh, Coach Bray has kind of kept the rotation pretty tight most games, seven guys, but there have been times when they roll out eight or nine. But uh, it's really six or seven that will get the bulk of the minutes. Sound very familiar? Yeah, it absolutely does. So the good news in that is that Carolina shouldn't necessarily be worn down by what they're facing in terms of like really heavily relying on five or six guys. Um the example we saw against uh, Wake Forest on Wednesday is that Coach Davis, you might recall, played 10 different players in the first half and then obviously tightened it up very, very tight in the second half. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of the method and the model going forward the rest of the season is, is get some, um, some breathing time, some bench time for the five starters and then really rely heavily on them in the second half. That really seems to be Coach Davis's M.O. Well, it is Friday, and that means we got to unpack our heel of the week and our heel of the week. And also want to talk about women's basketball, who unfortunately is in a bit of a tough stretch. We'll do that in just a second. All right, the North Carolina women's basketball team Oh, man, uh, lost again on Thursday night, 62 to 58 down in Miami. I guess Coral, Coral Gables technically, and, and they're just scuffling a bit right now. This is now after Carolina started nine and one this season, but since then have now lost four straight and so are nine and five. Uh, 
it's weird though. All close games, similar to the men. Um, none of these loss. I mean, I know I said the guys have one double digit loss. The the four losses in a row here for the ladies, all of them are single digits by eight points to Michigan, seven to Florida State, three to Virginia Tech, and four to Miami. And so they're just right there. There's just some tweaks that Courtney Banghart's team needs to make and just get right back on track and you fully believe that they can and will do that but, but you just got to see it because it's not been happening but here's the problem the the schedule really doesn't ease up because unlike the the men's side of things where the ACC is not very good this season for the women the ACC is an absolute gauntlet and so who comes up next they're back home in Carmichael that's great news but who's coming to town? Well, the same team that, that the men are playing on Saturday, the Notre Dame women's team, who is 12-1, fourth in the nation. All the women's bracketology has them as a number one seed. And so it is a massive opportunity for the women to get back in the win column against a high, high-level opponent. But they got to go out and do it and and make it happen so as as a reminder it's every thursday sunday there's a women's game so you can just mark your calendar with that and know that hey is it a thursday they're playing good yes is, is it a sunday yes they're playing and so um if you are in the chapel hill area make sure you get to this game on sunday cheer on the lady tar heels all right let's move to our heel of the week and our heel of the week um Man, uh, let's st- I actually want to start with the bad so that we can end on good, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So let's go heel of the week. And it's unfortunately some ACC referees. They're, you guys, I, I don't like to bag on or rag on referees, but there's just some times when it just has to happen. Um, th- this isn't what I necessarily wanted to talk about, but um, I had tweeted about it during the Wake Forest game. There was, it was the same ref. I should have looked him up, but multiple times in the first half, a play unfolded and about two seconds later, he called a foul. Uh, I re- specifically remember it was Jalen Washington's third foul was was the second of those. And I forget what happened the first time, but they were both fouls against the Tar Heels. And it's just like, what, what are we doing? Either call it or don't, but don't, don't give us this pause, right? It's just things like that where there's this inconsistency. Well, the big egregious gaffe and why ACC refs are going to get my heel of the week is for a, a, a offensive foul that Leaky Black was whistled for at Pittsburgh last Friday. If you didn't see or don't remember this play, um, you can go find it on my Twitter. Scroll back to that that Friday. It would have been not New Year's Eve, but the 30th. Um, there was a play. Leaky has a fast break, and I don't even remember who the pit player was because I'm just so frustrated at the ref. Just standing there, and he even kind of olays. I, oh, I think it was Blake Henson, the guy um, that was scoring down the stretch there for Pitt. He kind of olays his shoulder, and Leaky like brushes it as he goes by for a transition layup. The ref makes a call, and it, everyone's confused because, like, what what on earth is he calling right now? Because there there really shouldn't be anything. Like, there wasn't enough really contact. I thought to warrant even I I wouldn't have even called a a block, much less much less a charge on this one. I was just to play on for my money's worth, but the referee stops the play, blows his whistle. And Leakey's looking at him like, what, what did you call? I don't even know. I think you can read Leakey's lips. Say, what did you call? And 
he had called an offensive foul on Leakey. And this bewilders me. Like, I know the ones that are always bang, bang are the ones where there's a lot of contact. Was the defender still moving? Was, you know, was, was he in legal guarding position? Was he in the restricted circle? All of that. And, and I get that those are difficult, but this one, there wasn't even really contact. It just makes zero sense. And I, I don't say that in a way to say it would have changed the outcome of the game. I mean, it very well could have, but we just got to do better. There, there has to be better adjudication of these block charge fouls. There, there was one on Seth Trimble on Wednesday night at Wake Forest. It was like with a minute 11 left in the first half. He gets a, a transition and a little red buddy um, that Leakey was guarding a lot, Hildreth, um, gets back on defense and Seth Trimble, as he's coming, he's on the left side of the lane, kind of slides to the right to avoid the charge. And homie kind of slides with him, like leans his hip in, moves his leg a little bit and draws that contact. But it's in such a way where he's clearly moving, not in like a legal guarding position sort of way, but to kind of work at drawing the charge. And he does. They call this foul on Seth Trimble. And, and at that point in the game, Carolina is just starting to get a little potential momentum going into halftime. And this robs them of that opportunity where Seth Trimble could have gone to the line, helped things out. Now, thankfully, Carolina turned it on in the second half and it's all gravy. But it's just like, what are we doing? The, like going back to the leaky one, the look of consternation and confusion on his face was just simply comical. And so here's the thing for me, if it's remotely close, like if it's not clearly and plainly obvious that it's an offensive foul, you got to call a block or a no call, right? Because calling as many charges as these refs do continue to encourage defenders to make just not, not basketball play. It's not basketball. You know what I mean? And so we we've got to find ways to get better at adjudicating these somehow, some way to remove it from the game. I, I want to see offensive fouls I uh, called, charges called. I think that is an important part of the game. But not these cheap, fake ones that, that isn't good defense. You know what I mean? We can't continue to reward that. So that is my heel, heel of the week, is these ACC refs, particularly the one that called the charge on Leakey. Ah, <laughs> Let's get to the heel of the week. And here's the thing. I know a lot of times this is going to be an actual North Carolina Tar Heel. The, the bad one won't be because anybody can be a negative heel. Like, you're such a heel. Um, but more often than not, the positive heel will be an actual North Carolina Tar Heel. But in this case, it's got to be, for me, the DeMar Hamlin situation. Hopefully, I'm assuming you've been keeping tabs on this throughout the week. Monday Night Football, there was a terribly frightening and scary incident where DeMar Hamlin tackles T Higgins, DeMar Hamlin plays for the Bills, T Higgins for the Bengals and makes a tackle. Looks like a pretty typical football play. I mean, all football plays are violent, but no more violent than usual. He gets up and then just collapses and some type of cardiac arrest and terrifying, scary. I, I want to give this the positive heel of the week for a multitude of reasons. Number one, I want to give it to the, to the medical personnel who were immediately out on the field, followed great protocol procedures. They have been praised by medical personnel all over the country. And so great job by them to put DeMar Hamlin in a place to help save his life. <laughs> Number two, yay is both of these football teams and how they responded and reacted to the situation. 
um, caring more about the individual because they get it right. It's a brotherhood than playing the game. And, uh, you know, all the stories that have come out about them, the, the Bengals going to the Bills locker room and, and all these things and the way um, people have rallied around T. Higgins, who was the receiver, um, all, just all these things. Great response by the players. Um, and I, I know there was a lot of blowback to the NFL for taking some time to cancel the game. Listen, there's a lot of logistics you got to figure out, all those kind of things. And so I, I, I want to give them a little bit of leniency there. Um, while I, while I was frustrated in the moment, certainly I do want to commend them for ultimately canceling the game instead of going on with it and, and for continuing to, to not try to make it up. It's like, sometimes you just got to look at the humanity of a situation and, and honor that humanity. Uh, the next group I want to point out and say, yay, is the ESPN personalities responding in real time, um, to, to the guys in the booth, to Scott Van Pelt, to the reporters there at the stadium. I just thought they handled it with such class and professionalism. You think about when a natural disaster strikes and news anchors are on for hours unending at a time and, and handle it with such grace and aplomb. And I thought that's what happened here. And so kudos to all those for the somber, professional, appropriate manner with which they both honored those involved and helped explain what was going on to all of us watching. And then perhaps the wildest and wackiest part of this whole thing was the story of the fundraiser, Chasing M's Foundation, which is Damar Hamlin's uh, foundation. I'm sure you've heard of this, but their initial goal for this community toy drive was $2,500, $2,500. When I first looked at it on uh, Monday night, as, as I saw a tweet about it, it was just around $50,000. So it was like, holy smokes, this thing is blown up. I checked it once again just before I started recording. It is up to $7,709,040. Absolutely insanely bonkers. Great stuff there. Love all the parts of the story, but all the more so now. Damar Hamlin is showing, quote, substantial improvement. Uh, currently, you know, as of the time of this recording, is able to move his hands, able to feel. He can't talk yet, but he's intubated, and so that makes sense. Um, but he's able to communicate non-verbally. And I think most importantly, uh, that his neurological um, faculties are all intact. And that is so, so encouraging. Like, folks, uh, so... I played on the tennis team in college. I had a teammate of mine die at practice one day. Just we were running laps in the gym on a cold day, just fell over dead on the spot. Perfectly healthy young man. And and so those kind of images are just always with me in moments like this. I thought I thought DeMar Hamlin died out on that football field. I, I was like, this they're not getting him back. <laughs> Praise God, literally praise God that he, it, I mean, it seems like he is on the road to recovery and what a story this is. Can't wait to see what comes of it. And um, apparently when he woke up, he asked the doctors who won the game and the doctor said to him, you won, you won the game of life because you are alive. And so, man, just, you just love stories like this and um, being reminded of the humanity in all of this. You know what I mean? Um, because we love these young men and these young women we cheer for at the University of North Carolina, but all of that pales in comparison to how important they are as people. 
And that's what I want to remind all of us is to always remember the humanity. When you lash out at somebody on Twitter, when you write a, a, a handwritten note like somebody did this week to Indiana's Trace Jackson Davis, you got to remember the humanity that is in these young men and women. I plead. And this is a great reminder of one of those moments. Well, that is it for today's episode and this week of Locked on Tar Heels. Uh, make sure on Saturday to catch us for uh, postcast after the game. Uh, maybe you settle down with some lunch and we'll dive in together. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels. Of course, you can follow me at Isaac Shade. If you've got some nominations or suggestions for a heel of the week, good or bad, please send them to us on Twitter. Email the show, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. Doesn't even have to, like, maybe it's just somebody in your life that you're like, dude, this person needs to be the heel of the week because they got a great story. Whatever it may be, would love to include that. For your next listen, make sure to check out Locked On Sports Today. Biggest stories of the day, instant reactions, big game recaps, and of course, the take of the day. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever else you get podcasts. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show, smash the like button, and leave comments on your thoughts on how this game will go against Notre Dame tomorrow on Saturday. Really appreciate you hanging out with me on a Friday. I love this growing community. I know so many people are turning back in now as as football wraps up and we're getting into basketball season. So glad you're here if you are new. And I want to remind you, like every day, that it is a great day to be a Tar Heel. Until next week, or if you dive in on the postcast, until tomorrow, peace. Peace.